I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Let's check it is recording. Are we recording? Oh, it's not telling me. Oh, there we go. It says it is. So that's fine. I'll believe it. <laughs> Ooh. Hello and welcome to In The Pocket, the bass guitar podcast where we get the lowdown on the low end. My name's Johnny, a totally average bass player, and each week I'm joined by a different co-host to talk all about that bass. Now, I've been saying that these past couple of weeks, and uh, it's not been true because it's always just been me because I've been very lazy. But this time, I'm thrilled to be joined by a guest this week, and that is Matthew White, a.k.a. Skidflower. Matt, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you very much, Johnny. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Amazing. No problem at all. Now, um, Skinflower, give it, talk to me about it. What, uh, What is it? Is this your project? Is this coming from your mind? Because I know you do solo stuff as well as just being a bass player uh, in bands. Yeah, so Skinflower Music as is a is kind of umbrella project um, was everything that I was doing. I've had that name, been using it since I was about 15, 16. Um, and it enabled me to kind of exercise different different parts of, of whatever I was doing. Um, I put out an album last year that was a little bit unexpected under the, under the name Skinflower. I've always wanted to use that for a band. I did attempt to put a band together for it once many years ago. Um, but it's uh, a bit of a, a departure from what I suppose people generally know me for. It's got, got that '90s grungy sound. Um, oh, nice. As a, as as it will leave yourself, you know some of the people that appeared on it, um, including Steve. Good on so, Steve. Go on. Good on Steve. And uh, it's so th- so that that's where that came from. Um, yeah, and it just, just overarches everything. So the solo material I put out under my own name uh, and the, I suppose, the company that looks after everything then holds that Skinflower Music brand. Nice. So over the years, has it kind of been, it's not really been tied down to any kind of sound or genre. You just kind of funneled everything through that is it yeah i don't want to call it like a it's not like a label you know it's not like you're managing other people with it it's all, no, it's all yourself isn't no it? it's all it's all all myself but if i want to do a, a, a like an ambient solo bass record or i want to do a rock record and screaming away into it or i want to do an acoustic record or whatever then it can all come under that that same that same thing um but generally the band skin flower is is its own thing and my solo material is then un- under my own name awesome oh thank you so much for for sharing about it it's uh 
it's all exciting stuff and I, i've had a listen you know leading up to this and i i love that kind of that vibe that it's got to it it's really awesome. cool um so I'll explain a little bit about uh, how we've come into contact because we're in a bit of a unique situation here. And normally mm. it might be seen as rivals, the other guy, because uh, Matt is uh, leaving, exiting, moving on from the band that I've just joined, which is a tribute band, uh, Foo Fakers, and occasionally doing a bit of Nirvana as well, Nirvana. So, yeah, it's a unique situation, isn't it? Where It's not often it happens. No, I know, I know. And you're the uh, you're the new girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And now I'm the one going through deleting all the old texts and your messages. <laughs> <with them> all. <laughs> all the photos, I'm photoshopping my face on it now. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's been you know it's been big shoes to 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 step into 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 your role and uh, kind of holding holding it down, I think. And uh, yeah, it's it's going well so far, but. Uh, but yeah, that is kind of how we've come to be where we are now. Um, we'll get into more of that later on, I think, because I've got a question for you, which I think will be very interesting for our mm. big face debate today. Um, but first off, uh, we like to get to know our guests a little bit more with three simple questions each time we have a guest. Uh, the first of which being, um, how would you describe your playing? And now I know that there are lots of... Uh, different styles of playing that I've seen from you and different genres as well and so many different sounds and tones um but how would you describe your playing style in just three words okay I would go groove uh everything that I do is all about the groove it's all about making people nod their head tap their feet or however wash over them but it's it's fundamentally groove based um it's how I see the role of the instrument in a band, any band setting. Absolutely. That's the first thing I go to. Uh, locked. If I can find a drum, and I'm very, very fortunate that the drummers I do get to play with, I can lock in with extremely quickly. Um, Ian Miller being a, a particular choice who plays in the, the Will Cartwright Funk Soul Collective. Um, just so so easy to lock in with him um, and it's meant that we've been able to create this amazing foundation for that group and then i would put leading so from Ooh. so i i cut my teeth in three pieces for, <laughs> okay. for for many years so and see the the guitarist is generally the singer so there's a lot of space and especially when we were writing a lot of original material um, and being of the, the the certain age and the influences that that hit me in terms of players like Les Claypool, Flea, um, right through to people like Chris Wilsonholm from Muse, that's that based around that driving baseline, and everything else then just sits on top. So so it doesn't matter whether I'm playing jazz, funk, soul, blues, rock, metal, or creating these ambient layers. There's um, there's a, a a forward motion, and I think that links nicely into the you know the groove as well. Like you said, that you're always just the one to be the one driving it all, and the one that everybody is nodding their heads to. I always say that I always use that when people don't. They're like, oh, I can't hear the bass, and I'm like, so what are you nodding your head to right now, or what are yeah. you tapping into? They're like, oh, the the guitar, and I'm like, 
no. No, 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 no. <laughs> Little no, no. do you know. <laughs> yeah. It's it's the bass that you're feeling as well as hearing. Not just like feeling audibly in yourself, but like how you groove to it is totally driven. Oh, 100%. That. 100%. There are, those are three excellent words. I love that question because you get I get different things all the time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, good word. Good word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah listening nice. back. Yeah, there's some, there's some great examples back on the podcast. Everyone go back and listen if you haven't already. Good, good ideas all around. I need to go back and listen because I probably repeat myself so much. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on to our, our second question for our guest, which is, uh, what would you say is your number one bass, your go-to ride-or-die instrument? That would be my Ibanez BTB 686SC Terra Firma. I thought you might say that. For yeah. an Ibanez, that's not too bad of a name in terms of like serial it, number. It's pretty <laughs> yeah, it's pretty out there. The uh the <laughs> it's for the for the fanatics, you can go have a have a Google or have have a look at the um the, the content that's online. It's um by far the most How how can how can I put this? It 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 fits everything, it fits everything that that I've done with it. Um, mm. Whether I'm playing uh, with Will and doing sort of the funk and the soul stuff, and that also involves a lot of effects, and it's it's loaded with um, Bartolini pickups. Uh, I know that you don't necessarily have a particular fondness of them, but but for me, I I adore them. Um, the electronics in it are amazing. Um, the sustain on it is just out of this world. I think it's, it's got enough wood. Yeah, it, it, so it's, you, I can hear it from here. It's <laughs> a it's a it's a big big piece of wood. Um, the the specs are all on, on all online, so I won't won't go into into all of it. But it's the the yeah the sustain is great. The clarity is brilliant. Um, I will mention for the for the sake of of openness that I am a Bartolini artist. Uh, I'm also a Pitbull Strings artist. So uh, both of those companies that are, have I work with and and the products that that they pass over are out of this world in my opinion. Uh, awesome. Which which also really you know makes a massive contribution if you can get good strings, good electronics, and a good piece of wood. You are flying. That's your key bits right there. All those three, that's all you need. Don't Skill comes later. Oh, Don't yeah, exactly. That. Skill, practice, pff, overrated. Spend all of your money <laughs> on gear. <laughs> that, how do you think I've got this wall by <laughs> in this tiny room? Uh, but yeah, that that's awesome. And uh, yeah, I, was, I forgot to mention that, yeah, you are uh, a Bartolini artist as well, which is so cool. Bartolini's for me, I reckon they'll come to me later in life a bit like Aguilar has where like I would never used to be into it and I'm slowly getting there with that company now as well where like for me I've always been like distortion and a sans amp that clangy high end I love it so I kind of wasn't so into the other the more mellow side if you like um and Bartolini has always gave me that they've always been um, had plenty of well-roundedness and lots of low end, but they never, for me, gave me that like attack I wanted, despite playing really hard with the pick. However, in your bass, they sound awesome. 
that Fun. sound, especially with like fingers and like the um, uh, all the soul and, and funk stuff you're doing, I've heard samples of it where it just really suits that sound down to the ground. Yeah, I think they're, they're possibly the, if not certainly one of the most versatile um, electronics that that are out there. Um, and they, yeah, they they do everything. Lovely and Pitbull Strings as well. This is a company that I've not tried yet, but would love to i think that might be my next set that i buy to be fair you've just reminded me yeah. what set what Def- set should i go for definitely give them a go they are generally light gauge um but for me the the biggest thing about them i've found is the consistency so when you put them on they don't have that crazy new string brightness it almost feels like they've been played in a couple of days so depending on obviously how often you're playing and you know you don't need to you don't hear that that decay or mm. that that you certainly in my experience i have with um with using ernie balls for for example um you know they, they sounded super super bright for a couple of days and then you had a couple of days of golden hour and then by the end of the week you know if you're doing a four weeks of, of rehearsing and, and, and gigging you're kind of looking to go oh i need to i want to put some new ones on now really yeah, I, I find early balls die really quickly. I've currently, it's like it's like a drug. I've gone back to them at the minute because um, I was having, just because I wanted to test them out again. Um, but I was using, oh, Diodario um, mm. Pro Steels, which I yeah. found to be a nice middle ground between Ernie Ball and Elixirs, where Elixirs last like a ridiculous amount of time. Yeah, and are I really used- nice. But, used nano webs for years oh. um, for that very reason that I could go three months without changing strings. Yeah, but, and how many lungs do you have left after selling them to buy it? Oh, I, I think I think I'm I'm literally just on life support now because <laughs> yeah, trying to trying to restring a six string bass with with nano webs was. Uh, oh my god! Yeah. I forgot about that aspect. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 you're looking at 50, 60 quid, aren't you? Yeah, strings, then. yeah, that's wild. Uh, <laughs> guitarists can't say anything, can they? Can't no, no. Strings. oh no, no, hell no. Um, my last question, uh, is why the bass? Why, why did you decide to pick up the bass? Um, so for me, it was uh, the bass player in the band that I was playing in left when I was. 15 16 you know having a band with with your pals at school and i was actually the drummer in that oh. band so i came in a slightly different route than 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 a lot of others um i was also playing guitar in another band um and keys in a in another band so it was it was it was one of those but yeah the bass player left um and i started started playing bass with them and kind of just really fell into it and there was as we all know uh there's there's a i suppose a lack of bass players compared to guitarists maybe less so compared to drummers but certainly compared to guitarists so there was all of a sudden you start going out performing um people will want you know you perform to a certain level and other people will be like hey do you want to you want to come join my band um and by the time i got to college it was uh, i was studying music and the the music performance 
guys and the music tech guys, the music that all needed to record for their coursework. So I ended up really diving in and, and starting to take bass playing much more seriously because there was opportunities to play coming much more regularly. Amazing. I, I think that is so interesting that you've come in the band from being a drummer normally it's like we've got yes we've got a drummer we will not let them go and, and then i'll oh, get that other some other guy on bass yeah oh, keep the drummer but i love that you went no actually the bass is more important leave the drums someone else can do the drums well we love were that. we were quite fortunate that the the that particular band that i was playing in at the time had essentially two drummers in it so the so we had a percussionist as well uh, and we oh, would okay. we would do you know a, a set each behind the kit and on on percussion, oh, so okay. it just seemed like a natural. Actually, we can we can lose the shaky shaky tappy tappies, and uh, <laughs> go over on to on you know get get bass and drums combined. So so then you went on to the bassy bassy melty facey. That's the one. Nice. <laughs> Love that. Love that journey. That's I love that it's not just the typical, oh yeah, I was a guitar player and I was a bass player, uh, like the rest of us. Uh, and then, we found, <laughs> then we found our way. Found our realized, calling. Found our calling. We were better. Um, no, don't hate me, guitar players, please. Um, thank you so much. Let's, uh, let's move on to our first question. Our first question, uh, by the way, questions you can submit to me uh, on Instagram uh, on, I forgot my handle then for a second, just it's my name. <laughs> <laughs> it's not hard to remember, Johnny, come on. Uh, just Johnny Dibble, at Johnny Dibble on Instagram. I put up on there, uh, on my story, you can submit your questions via there, like these very lovely people. Uh, first question uh, comes from Skogan Bass Players. <laughs> Flippinette, bass playist. That's me, Johnny Dibble, bass playist. Uh, Skogan bassist, uh, who, friend of the show, previous guest, uh, has asked, how many strings is too many or too few? So I thought this would be a really interesting question for you because, you know, that your main bass, that is a six-string bass. Correct, yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, love to hear what your thoughts are on this well let's let's start with the the lower end Sherry. too few for me three is too few i mean really you could get away with one or two if you were stripping it right down but for me the minimum i ever want is four and you know that's i imagine what most people are going to say it's pretty standard you don't really get two or three string bases um commonly so for me, for I, I am utilizing all the strings. I'm not just playing my root notes, um, or I try not to anyway, um, on you know, normally the E or the A string. I am utilizing that that D and that G as well. Maybe not too far up the dusty end, but yeah, for me it's it's gotta be four. What about yourself? Um, well, I think there's uh there was there was quite a famous example of Tony Levin, I wanna say, who came out with a or who was certainly pictured with a, a three-string bass yeah. and it was at that time in the 90s when i started showing my age um <laughs> and my my addiction to ian martin allison podcasts as well um that that yeah, i'm sure it was in in the 90s and i'm sure it was on a recent um podcast with uh 
from Scott Space Lessons um, at the time when everyone was playing five, six string basses, especially strung with the high C. Um, I think generally speaking, if we were honest, we could most of us could get away with two strings. Um, but I would not want to sacrifice the opportunity to to play out a little bit more. And I think I would I would certainly want to have a minimum of EAD at least. Yeah. Um I have seen seen people that have gone down the tenor road and gone A A D G C and then wow. used and then used an octave pedal. But oh, okay. for but for me it's not it's not it's not the same sound. So no, no. so I I would want to keep some low end there, you know, to make sure that that, that particular role is still fulfilled within a band setting. Um, so I don't I don't know if I would ever go out and purchase something with three strings. <laughs> so I I would uh, yeah I I would be inclined to agree that that four four is the minimum. Yeah. But to uh, to act, just just to throw a curveball, the last time I owned a four string bass. I did have it strung B to D mm. instead. So went down that Tim Comerford route instead. Yeah, and it's the route when you're like, I don't want to buy a five string yet. Let's just let's just go the, the four five string way, shall we? Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm just gonna file that nut down a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> what what gauge string can I fit in here now? <laughs> um yeah, I, I've I've been there as well. Uh when I've been in metal bands and stuff and just wanted I'm like I, I'm not a five string guy. I'll just want before, so I'll, yeah. I'll just get my thick strings on. It's like my big boy pants, my thick strings. <laughs> um, yes, and and fundamentally, you don't need a million amount of strings. You could have an amazing bass groove, and like we said, all about a groove on one string. You know, hundred percent. There's nothing to say that. Oh, well, I need all four strings to be good. No, it's just like. I would I like that and I like having that availability and it's the way that I've learned at the end of the day but that doesn't mean that you have to include every single note every single string for for a baseline to be fantastic you know another one another one bites the dust uh, how you play it so simple and so iconic you know and could be played on a one string bass you know yeah exactly and again it's the kind of thing that gets your head moving that's the it's that role exactly so I think, you know, for us, it's going to be a minimum of four just based on our playing styles and, and what we want to do. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same. I don't think I could go for like uh, that tenor style with a um, with an octave pedal. Um, octave pedals are another, again, another one I'm not quite there on yet for my own personal style. I've just not found a need for them myself yet. But we digress. Um, let's, let's go up the other end then. How many strings is too many? Now, for me, I'm I, I consider myself a late bloomer in a lot of ways, in and 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 in terms of bass as well. You know, I love gear, but I've never been a big five string guy. I've probably only, well, I've owned what? In fact, I've owned two five string basses. One of which I've got here now. I've had you know on the channel and and reviewing and and played many more, but I've actually only owned own two and only ever want one in my arsenal the rest uh, i tend to keep five in my arsenal i've got way more than five at the minute unfortunately um 
that's such a weird thing to say, unfortunately. But I mean, <laughs> the, I can't keep them all. There's, too, there's too, not enough room in here, as I said. Um, but I, out of those five, I only like to have one being a five string, just because I own, I play four strings mainly. So, if, so for me, the the idea of a six string, I'm like, oh my god, that blows my mind. I can't. I, I'm just getting here on fives. Um, so for me, it's fine. My answer is too many. Six is too many for me. Now I'm interested to see what you have to say for this because your number one is that six string. And what is it about that C that it gives you? I know it gives you that higher range. What do you love about having that extra string on there? Um, so for me, I transferred to six uh, when I was playing in a band called Exit 24 uh, in my early 20s uh, because I wanted a harmonic that I couldn't get anywhere else <laughs> um because of the, the the chord that i was playing and i could hear a part and i could, just could not um could not stretch my hands around to to do it so uh, a friend of mine was selling an ibanez btb and i bought it off of him with with a boss gt6b which is still in my pedal board. Nice. Um, so, in turn, so that so that 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 was my transition, and I just just got used to it. Um, it was it just became almost almost an aesthetic thing rather than than anything else because I was not doing anything that necessarily required me to have uh, a six string bass. Uh, at that point, it wasn't until realistically I started playing them with a band called Cover the Crisis, um, where sort of a, it went back to a three piece. Um, it was with the drummer and the guitarist from Exit Twenty Four, and there was much more room to to explore. So the bass lines had tapping in. There was a lot of double thumb work, um, all within this sort of grungy emo sort of sound that was very much of of that 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 period um in terms of how i use it now it is definitely far more for the chordal stuff and for soloing um especially with uh with with some of the stuff that i do with we will um but also some of the sort of jazz nights that that I play in the open uh, in the house bands for it just allows you to do that extra little bit um outside of the the usual register and and just just make things pop a little bit make things sing um I will confess that I have owned a double neck bass so technically I've had I've gone to 9 <laughs> <laughs> um and I did for a period have a seven string Ibanez that I had strung with a low F sharp. <laughs> Flip it, Nick. Bloody hell. I think whale, only whales can hear that. It was an, anything below an A mm. was just woof noise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but for me, I was playing in... Um, I was doing some depth work with uh, a hip-hop band based in Glastonbury called House of Commoners. Okay. Um, so there's a you know playing hip hop playing dub, 
just being able to play those lines on higher up the neck on thicker strings gave such a big sound mm. um and written again that there was when it came to a run or a little lick that i could join in with the horns or or the keys and guitar and just enabled me to without shifting my hand right up the neck it was just a case of transitioning a couple of inches down could join in those licks before coming back in with the bass and just giving it that big bottom end yeah and i think that's where it serves its function really isn't it it's like it's not something that well unless you are going to be in like a metal band where you're really on those opens but um it's it's for being able to access those notes easier uh than to run all the way down the neck like you have oh, to, yeah. whether that be on the high string or or a lower one you know a lot of the um a lot of the six string players that that i've encountered over the years have transitioned to six purely for that ease of motion mm. um and it it does it does make a it does make a massive difference because that's not to say that they're using that uh that that c you know to go right up on the dusty end by the you know by the up and above the 12th fret it's not to say that they're always no. using it up there it can be to just make some playing easier um down the bottom no, um, so I, 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 I was going to say a really good example of that is someone like dave swift who is jules okay. holland's bass player so again he's not doing anything outrageous in terms of high chordal work or soloing but he's utilizing uh, across the neck rather than up and down the neck in to, to to create those lines. Mm. I think chords is a really good point that you brought. I hadn't even thought about that as well. Yeah, chords, of course. It's just going to sound so much more angelic, more, it's just going to sound so much better on those uh, higher strings as well. Because anything, when you start going past like the A and D string for a chord, you're starting to get into flubby farty territory. Um, so to have that at your, at, your, at your fingertips literally is um, is amazing. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Now I want a six string, so that's great. Oh, I re- I recommend them to everyone. <laughs> no, I'm too I'm too much of a just just playing. Just give me a one string. I'm done. <laughs> um, thanks so much. Let's move on to the next segment. Okay, so now it is time for the news, bass guitar news. What has been going on in the last two weeks? So there's been a couple of little announcements and one that's completely slipped me by, one that I just totally has uh, taken me by surprise that I don't know how I didn't see before or I haven't seen anyone talking about because it's ridiculous. And I'll tell you all about it now. (laughs) Oh, well, at the end. Um, First of all, probably one of my um, favorite bits of news is Harley Benton. Good friends, Harley Benton. Um, they have released a new uh, version of one of their bases. It is the oh gosh, now the model numbers and names have escaped me. It is their kind of all matte black P base that they've got with the red uh, pit guard on it. Um, they have released it now. It was just a standard P base before. Now they have released a PJ version uh, in both the four string and the five string models brilliant i think i think loads of people have been really enjoying this bass i really want to get my hands on one second hand they're coming up at like 75 80 quid which is insane um i'm waiting for one to come up locally so i can uh snag it up and, and give it a go but now oh now i'm tempted by the pj because who doesn't love a pj 
Um, and for that kind of bass and the aesthetics it gives off, I think a PJ is perfect for that. Add a bit more brightness and attack from that bridge pickup in there. Yeah, good stuff, Harley Benton. I think that's a really good decision. Um, I've played oh, years ago. It was one of the ones I worked in a school and in their music department, they had an old model, like one with a really old logo on it, uh, Harley Benton PJ basses. And it was phenomenal. Uh, like kids these days don't know how good they've got it, especially in schools. Like to equip your music department out with Harley Bentons. What a brilliant idea. Like perfect because they're all amazing value real market disrupting brand big time big time and that is good i think um because you know it forces people to compete and get you know kick the get the buns in gear basically and be like oh shit actually uh we can't just rely on our brand name anymore (laughs) square um (laughs) you have to uh you have to you know put some put some effort in um and you know I'm totally dismissing all of the stuff about Harley Benton in terms of like, you know, uh, labor and the workforce ethics and things like that. I'm kind of dismissing that at the minute. That is a discussion for another day, I feel. I mean, it's a pretty cut and dry opinion on, on it, but the main reason Harley Benton are able to get their prices so much lower than everyone else is because, of course, they're, they're selling direct uh, via Toman. They are the distributor, the sole distributor. So, you're essentially skipping out that middleman of the retailer who's jacking up the price. Um, but yeah, anyway, <laughs> anyway, enough about Harley Benton. Uh, cool new bass. Uh, I want to play it. Um, interested. Have you actually played any or many Harley Bentons? I've played one uh, that was sat in a studio that I, that I was working in, and I was absolutely blown away. Oh. Um, to the point that you start that immediately went home and was googling it and having a look and I hadn't, I hadn't come across them beforehand um and then yeah when you start seeing how affordable they are you just sit there and go why was this not a thing yeah. <laughs> when I was when I was 15 yes yeah uh can you imagine played enough like the, the worst ones that we had were obviously we had like squire affinities at the time um, and like Starcaster ones before that was the name for the the really nice guitars. Um, they had the, the yeah they sold those in like Argos. Yeah, <laughs> that's what yeah, we're talking. Yeah. Um, then they had um we had Ashton, um, <clears throat> which was I think an Australian brand which mainly did acoustics. But then that's all the bases that the school bought. And oh man, they were not good. They were not good at all. I think the one good guitar that we had was the Yamaha Pacifica. That everybody just ran to go and grab. Uh, oh, there was there was an old court that was pretty good to be fair. The bass, but yeah, oh, oh, give me shivers and nightmares of trying to get good sound out of uh, <laughs> out of the guitars in school. But yeah, Harley Benton. Uh, I'm a fa- I'm a big fan. Yeah, agreed. Um, next bits of news. We've got some amp news. I'm not normally a huge amp guy, um, but some exciting amp news. Uh, first of all, from EBS, they've got the, I'm reading off my notes here, the Magni 502 combo, which is a 500 watt uh, 2x10 combo. Um, I have limited experience with EBS, but all of which has been really good. Um, I very nearly bought uh, a Ridemar, Readmar, I think it's Readmar. 
um, set up from them because uh, it sounded so crisp uh, and did this thing with the mids. Um, it was quite a scooped mid sounding amp. Um, and this amp is apparently based on that or similar to it. So you get an analog preamp uh, and they say powerful filters to shape the sound. That sounds like you're explaining it to somebody that doesn't know what bass is or what music is. And they're like, oh, wow, powerful filters to shape the sound. Uh, so, yeah, love that. Um, and 500 watts of power, uh, all developed by EBS in Sweden. So, yeah, I think these look pretty cool. I'd love to give one a go. I'm not much of a combo guy, though. I am, I'm a head and cab kind of guy just because of the kind of gigs that I'm always playing. Or, or a lot of the time, if I'm turning up to a festival or a multi-band setup, I can't be dealing with rolling my combo in and out. I, I like to have a head, and then I can just, oh, if I can, if I can minimise the amount of stuff I'm travelling with, uh, at one show, <laughs> fine by me. So I'll pick the head and cab, please. Yeah, um, yeah, I would be inclined to agree. I'd, lo- I'd, I've never played EBS either. I'd absolutely love to, but yeah, mm. very, very similar feelings on on combos. Um, I've actually stripped down now most of the shows I do I do with a Trace Elliott elf oh damn really slim then they're like this big yeah fits in, fits in my pocket <laughs> um, it's always like the sales call for those is oh it can fit in your gig bag you're like ah I could do one better <laughs> yeah it, it will fit fit in my pocket um, but I've I've always played Trace or Harker oh, um yes. So it's uh, it when the when the elf came out, I think it was um, bought it purely because I'd had a an a head blow up on me on stage, major panic. I'm like, I cannot afford not to have this. Yeah. So it's um, yeah, I I will rave about it to anyone because if it's if the gig that you're doing is too loud for you to use something that small, then it goes through a PA generally anyway. Yeah. But yeah, I whole... just I I just take that and a two by ten, either another trace two by ten or a huck two by ten to plug yeah. it through. Nice. Yeah. The the argument for on stage amps comes up a lot in these questions. Uh well for and against, you know, do you really need it anymore? It's like it totally depends on your setup and what you're going to be doing with it and what the kind of quality of front of house it is that you're going to. Or if there is one, some people play gigs where there isn't a sound system that's uh, that, that can take the bass through. So it's all stage, but that's not any kind of professional kind of setup. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really up in the air, that kind of stuff of like, whether do, does anyone really need it anymore? You know, pros and cons. But uh but yeah, I think th- I think that's awesome. If you can minimize your setup as much as possible, save your back, save your uh, money as well, because the elf's the elf's pretty affordable too, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, well, I think it's about two hundred. He says very very quickly, googling it. <laughs> um, but it's the the um, the you can obviously buy small speakers for it as well now. Um. So it's it's certainly it, it's not an unaffordable. Yes, yeah, it's, it's about two hundred, just over two hundred pounds, ranging from two two twenty to two thirty, depending where where you're looking, oh. um, for just the head. Uh, and if you're if you're already in in that place where where you've got the hab, head and cab set up, yeah, for the, for that sort of price, just as a backup. 
Mm. Yeah. And a very cute backup it is. Very cute backup. <laughs> I, bet, I, bet, I bet so many sound guys are like, so where's the amp? And you're like, it's there. Yeah. And they're like, what? What is that? Wait till you hear it. Yeah. Well, I think I, I ended up at, at Rock and Ribs, which, which you will get to do next year. Yes, I did. Uh, yes, yeah, yes. Rock and Ribs. Um, uh, I played obviously on, on the main stage for that. Um, and they had a backline provided in terms of cabs. Uh, so it went into an 8x10 cab. And the, yeah, the, the sound engineers were in hysterics when I pulled it out. So <laughs> They always are when I pull it out. Hey! <laughs> uh, um, amazing. Well, let's move on from that absolute filth um, to uh, another small um, amp, which is the Boss Dual Bass Cube XL they've brought out. So the Boss Cube goes way back. I remember, again, that was one of the amps that they had in school for guitar players. And I can't remember if we had a bass version back then either. I want to say yes, we did. Um, obviously, Boss now owned by Roland as well. Um, this one is is that classic bass cube kind of setup, but taken to the next level. They've really stepped it up in terms of technology uh, because now it's it's essentially like a little uh, Line Six HX Stomp or a multi effects. Uh, we've got five different amp models in there, loads of effects, and any kind of order or stacking that you want to do absolutely fine it can do it what's interesting about this is that it can be controlled on your desktop and via an app as well and that you know it's getting me thinking about these app controlled amps is this going to be the future is it going to catch on do i like it do i sell everything i have to get one um for me no um it kind of makes me wince a little bit these like app control things dark glass started doing it and i was like oh this is some naughty territory you're going down you're gonna you're gonna make everybody else do it now and so now we're seeing it come out quite a lot and i don't know how i feel like it's cool the technology is cool and you think like yeah from the power of your phone you don't even have to bend down to do it but oh i don't know i there's something about it like I like the tactile nature of turning a knob on a pedal. Um, I thought I'd leave a nice pause in there. Into uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I'm just really into that. I'm a pedals guy. Like, I even struggle with um, digital stuff sometimes when I can't, like, twist something and see that it's on there and it's got, like, 5.2 instead of just being at 5 o'clock, you know. Like, I don't know why. I think it's a psychological thing, but I just really prefer that pedals on the ground uh type thing so the app kind of takes that digital stuff in a whole other direction for me that i know how i like to play and i know what uh what excites me in terms of gear and that is not it i don't know really why but i just feel like it for me it would suck the creativity out a little bit so i'm all for boss giving this a go it's only like a little um i think it's got two it's a two by i was gonna say two by ten i think it's two by five so it's got little five inch speakers in it so it's not gonna be like a big gigging amp you know because five inch speakers eh, the the smallest i'd want to go by themselves is gonna be would be 10 inch um so for live i wouldn't necessarily look at doing this you can have an xlr and di it out though it's fine um but if you're gonna have some stage volume you want something big beneath you i think um but having said that, this would be great for at home, maybe this amp. 
be pretty cool. Uh, and yeah, for to have an all-in-one type thing, I think that's pretty cool. I will just check the price on these because that's one thing that I forgot to do. But talking about like app-controlled apps and things like that, what's your thoughts on all that kind of stuff, mate? Um, I mean, I'm, I do like it old school. Like there's there's no greater feeling than standing on stage with a big stack behind you, make making your trousers flap as you're uh, <laughs> as you hit hitting those low notes. I don't need, um, I don't need an amp <clears> to do that, mate. <laughs> but the I think there's there's a so I recently moved over to a line six HX Dom, um, and obviously the amp simulators within that are are amazing. And I uh, think when you had, was it Mealy? Yeah. On on the show, and she was talking obviously about the pit work, um, and not being able to have uh, an amp there. Obviously, the the versatility of that particular pedal and those simulators was, and the, the built-in compression, um, is 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 phenomenal. And I think there's 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 a massive again there's a there's a there's a time and a place for it, um. I think if you are working either in in a studio or in in practice, and you want to be able to have the the world at your fingertips without having to jump around and move, or, or you're limited on space, I think think that that kind of thing is phenomenal. I think from a from a performance setup, especially you know playing sweaty bars or playing on hot stages, it's it's one more thing that I would be frightened of going wrong. Is my is is my honest answer, and whether whether that's just me being a bit bit of an oldie, or or not, I couldn't couldn't tell you. But uh, I, I think I, I think I think they're great. I think they have their time and a place. But it's not something that I'm necessarily too excited to jump into yet. Yeah, I'm. I'm not there yet either. And it does make me feel like an oldie too. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, oh, these kids on their phones all the time. Bloody hell. <laughs> Change it, twiddling their knobs and playing their amps. <laughs> um, anyway, oh God, I keep, I got to stop using knobs as like my thing, my go-to like joke, because it's, well, it's becoming I'm, my brand now. Yeah. I, I will say that with the, um, with the, the Funk Soul Collective, uh, we we have a, a a weekly night in, in over in Glastonbury, um, and quite fortunately, we've got three sound engineers within the band plus a house sound engineer. Uh, I and bet that all... house sound engineer loves that. Oh, it's uh, <laughs> it it's it it can get interesting, but um, they're all mixing their own individual mixes um on their phones, um, dialed into the into the PA for, from so with that aspect it's incredibly useful to to do your own in-ears mm. do your own monitor mix mm. yeah. um so like I say there's 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 a time and a place for it yeah definitely I, I totally agree with that and that's that's one of those things where it's that's easy to do on the fly set and forget kind of thing right it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah now I can I can adjust that a little bit um I don't know why with with amps it just doesn't it just doesn't get me there yet um but we'll move on because I want to move on to the most exciting bit of news. Um, and that is that Fender have done a collaboration with uh, Minions. 
Yes, you, you heard that right. <laughs> uh, we've got a Minions Rise of Gru uh, base. <laughs> Uh, the custom shop worked with Illumination, and now we have got what's called Otto's base. And I'll, I'll give you a second to look it up because it is someone else. <laughs> it's, it's, to be fair, it's got something on it that I've never seen Fender do before, and I have not got a clue who on earth would want to buy this, uh, or even how many are available, or what the deal is with this. I just saw it pop up and was like, what on earth? it's like this film is it was already a bit of a meme and it's and it's getting worse and worse as the days go by um i'm excited about it the uh they don't say too much about it spec wise on the website they've done a strap they've done an acoustic and they've done a p-base so this p-base is essentially it's made to look like a spaceship kind of cobbled together with loads of uh steel and, and bolts and stuff and then on the kind of where you rest your arm on, on the um on the carve there it's kind of got like i want to say like a translucent transparent bit which is meant to be the cockpit and then a minion inside of that uh <laughs> I can see your jaw hit the floor. <laughs> I'm I'm look I'm looking at the images now and they're all coming apart and putting back together and <laughs> Lord only knows how much that base costs. Um it's it doesn't have a price. I think it's a bit different this one, in that you have to get in touch with the fence like the fender play uh, something. I don't know if it's a charity one or not, but I, I I love this thing either way. I think it's hilarious. There's no mention of like anything to do with the pickup. It does look different, although I don't know if that's just the cover and the design that's on there. Okay, there's no mention about how different that might be in terms of sound or like what the electronics are. I don't think that's really the most important thing that they're going after, to be honest. I think it's more the aesthetics of it. And it comes in like a moon-themed case as well, which I haven't seen yet. So I would love oh, to see cool. that. Oh, it looks cool. It really oh, cool. I'm going to look that up. They, they, they do have it on the uh, Instagram page. Oh, man. Mm. Yeah, go. is that just on Fender's one? Yeah. Yeah, go and check it out. It's crazy. I love like sometimes when they do these weird collaborations because, you know, in like 10 years time or 20 years time, we're going to be like, what on earth is that thing? You know, up for sale on Reverb. Crazy. Crazy. Um, but yeah, hey, maybe uh, that could be my signature guitar one day. Uh, and uh, maybe, who knows, maybe we'll get to review it. <laughs> Fender, come on, let's let's do this. Let's review, let's review the... Uh, was it the Minions Rise of Gru base, please? Sponsored by. That'd be a good sponsor for this podcast, actually. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> no, we won't do that. Um, that is all of my news for this week. Um, I hope that ended on a bang because it's made me very excited. So, yeah, let's move on to our next question. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. So question number two comes from Amir underscore bassists on uh, Instagram, who's asked, how do you motivate yourself to play again with people after a bad band breakup? Um, first off, so sorry to hear that you've had a bad band breakup. That's not a tongue twister at all. Um, that that sucks. It's awful when that kind of thing happens. Bands, you know, it's, oh, it's your mates and you're playing live and you're doing what you love. It can be stressful. Like it can be uh, annoying working with other people creatively. You can get clashes about everything, not just from the creative side, from the way that you're operating it. These things can be like businesses at the end of the day. So depending on how you're running it, you can, you know, it can rub people up the wrong way. And uh, it's, it's very common for people to fall out, um, etc. So, so sorry to hear that you've had a bad, bad breakup. Uh, that sucks. Um, how do you motivate yourself to play again with people? I think you've got to kind of forget everything you know about playing with people specifically if it's your first band so in my first band um we were like yep in the practice room all the time that's where we wrote the music that's where we did everything never really you know we wouldn't demo songs or anything like that we'd then just go and play them live and then go and record them uh, and then when that broke up I found it hard to then be in a band where we didn't do that um, so then I had to force myself, okay, I'm now going to learn how to record stuff at home and I'm going to practice this way and learn how to songwrite this way. And then that kind of introduced a new element into doing that. Uh, so I think, you know, try and help yourself by learning a different way of how to work in a band situation, um, because then that can really help you with not trying to do it exactly the same way as what you did it before of course this is dependent on how it all went awry um but i think in order to work with different people and not remind yourself of that old situation or, or to start new habits i think it's good to uh to, yeah just reflect on how you operate a band and think of different ways that other bands do it because every band is different it's really interesting some some bands will um write songs uh and then record them release them and forget all about them and then have to learn to play them again to then play live which is you know really strange way of doing it i think um but it's totally different and i think you've got to kind of think about these different ways the bands work in order to rebuild and work with new people um there's definitely multiple angles to this question um it can knock your confidence as well i think when you're um, playing with people and then it all goes bad and you're like oh I don't know if I want to do this um, I think it's uh, one of the first things when I, if I'm joining a band I've got to know from the offset what the idea of this is what the expectations are getting that clear from the offset is so important I think just because you don't want to be like yeah I'm gonna make we're gonna make it this band is gonna be the biggest band ever and then 
the drummer's not on board with that. He just thought it was meeting up once a week and playing a couple of gigs. You know, you've got to um, really from the offset understand where everyone's at. That's not to say you might all go into it and say, oh, you know, it's just a bit of fun and we'll see where it goes, you know, but you've got to know what kind of level of commitment people people can do because that is the kind of stuff I find that then starts, you know, uh, people start falling out about that kind of thing. Um, I've just been talking for a long time there about what I think. Sorry, Matt. What? No, uh, not, what, not, not what at are all. You thinking? What are you thinking? Um, well, to, to echo your point, I think I think you you raised two two massively massively important points there. Um, in particular, with the uh, it's the the biggest thing is changing potentially how you view how a band works um, and how 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 you can contribute or what's expected of you um, is is a key thing. I was uh, trying to think as as you were talking. I, I've I've definitely been the one that's been kicked out of bands. I've definitely kicked other people out of bands. I've been in bands that have just broken up. I've been in bands where I've been the only sole surviving member and hired an entirely new band. Um, and uh, there's there's been plenty of other examples where everyone's departed happily, uh, as well as ones that, that are less positive. Um, so I think it depends. First, first, obviously, when when you're when you're in a band with with people, you're it's certainly more than more than just your pals. You you develop a unique connection to those people, and being able to play music, um, a, a great believer that music is a language, uh, and so you're you're speaking a secret language with with your pals and being able to communicate that. Um, so it is it is a special bond, and it and it can be really crappy when it all goes a bit a bit peaked on so it is it is hard to motivate yourself i think it depends on like you say what what you want to get out of it when as and when you you venture back into it um so communication is is a massive massive part um and i think that's something that that you learn with age i think any Anyone who who's gone through that musical journey of forming bands and and them breaking up would agree that communication is is probably the the biggest thing that led to that, and it is a rite of passage. It's a journey that that we all have to take, um, and that that yeah, you won't you won't really discover until you're you're a few in that that's that's what it comes down to. There's not many people I know from from playing with them at fifteen, sixteen that I'm still playing with. 20 years later um so it's uh yes yeah, it's, it, it's a it's an interesting thing i would i would certainly say if you've had a bad bad band breakup i would that is that is a that's a tough one isn't it? that's a challenge I, I they do this on purpose <laughs> these listeners uh i would suggest to try something different go out of your comfort zone if you can but again make your intentions clear you know if you were playing in a punk band Maybe try playing in a pop band or a metal band or, you know, if you if you want to branch out and, and try something really out there, go and, go and do some jazz or go and see if you can do some show tunes or just to just to see see what else is out there that can get you to fall back in love with your instrument in the process. 
Mm, I think um, that's a really key bit that you've touched on there as well. It's it's being in love with your instrument as well. You know, yeah. wanting to not just be in a band, but play your instrument in a band. I know people that go from band to band to band and play different things in all of them. And that's great for me. I'm always going to be the bass player. It's the only yeah. thing I'm good. I'm half good at, you know. Um, but I always come back to the bass, regardless of of the other bits and pieces that that I might do for other people. It always comes back to the bass for me. Um, it's where it's where I'm comfortable. It's the it's the crayon that I picked out of the box that that I always always go back to. Stuck it straight up your nose, and it never. That's come back the down. one. That's the one. Um, um, yeah, and I think it's finding new ways to enjoy that as well. Like I haven't been, I was, you know, not gigging for probably a year. Well, um, is that right? Gigging consistently for like a year before COVID, I'd say it kind of died down, then got to COVID and completely died, you know, and then only now this year is it starting to pick up again um, with, with joining Foo Fakers. Um, and that's not like millions of gigs. Like some people I know, they're gigging every week. I'm, I'm not. Um, and I lo- absolutely love gigging. But I think you've got to find a new way to appreciate your instrument and enjoy it as well. For me, it's doing this YouTube stuff in my little stuffy room. You know, I, I love doing that. And it's uh, uh, helped develop my playing and, and my enjoyment and appreciation of things as well. And talking to people, like-minded mm. people. Um, I think you've got to put yourself out there sometimes. Um, like you say, trying different genres can definitely uh, scratch that itch um, and help you grow and just diversify your network as well. Uh, um, massively, massively. You've got to get yourself back out there, I think, not just be put off. No, I, I would agree. Um, and potentially try different instruments because if, you, if, you, if you've fallen out of love with, with bass or whichever instrument you are playing at that particular time it is you know take some time out be kind to yourself and see if you can pick up some some guitar or or some percussion or keys or whatever or 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 go and go and look at some music theory however whatever just uh, expand expand your abilities if you can definitely and I've I've been put off by bands before and gone like I don't want I don't know if I want to do this anymore kind of thing. Um, when you're feeling a bit burnt out or things haven't gone your way, you know, in this uh, situation, the band's broken up. It's gotten that bad. Um, so I would what's one thing I find always really motivating as well is going and watching lots of live music. Remind 100%. yourself, re-remind yeah, yeah, yeah. yourself why you're there. Have to get that feeling again that I want to be that person on stage right now. Yeah. Wherever I am, if someone's playing music, I'm always jealous because I'm like, I want to be on stage now. I I want to do that. You know, I love that feeling. And sometimes you need to remind yourself that to give yourself the push to get back out there. But would would you say uh, that for you when when the bands that you've been in that, that have broken up, would you say that it is down to uh, a breakdown in communication? Um, I think for me, not so much. I think that's where we've, like, I've had loads of projects kind of start and then fizzle out. Um, never like bands that have been going for a long time break up that way. Um, but it's always comes down to like, that's the make or break, I think, with a lot of groups is communication. Because when it, if, you, if you're not communicating at the start, not everyone's on the same page or not everyone's showing their enthusiasm or getting things going or replying to a message, you know, it's going to fizzle out and, and go nowhere. So that's where I've experienced 
bad communication like that, sometimes from myself as well. I, I've been guilty of it before where I've had a lot on my plate and I've been like, oh, I'll do that later kind of thing. Um, and, and you know, sometimes you're just not in that frame of mind to do it. You're not in the right headspace. Um, so you've got the stars have got to align sometimes, I think. Uh, but but yeah, I, I think communication is is a key to to so many aspects in life and particularly being in a band as well in in all aspects whether you're on stage and off stage you always got to be communicating uh with your your band of brothers and sisters that you're on stage with you know but yeah i i hope that uh this question has 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 helped you somewhat uh thank you so much for for being vulnerable sharing with us uh for us to talk about these things because these things suck and sometimes you need to to vent that and talk to people about it because otherwise you can end up in a in a bit of a spiral and then end up resenting it, never wanting to do it again. So I'm sure Matt speak on behalf of you. Our advice here is to get yourself back out there and don't, don't give it up. Keep going, keep going. Cause we, the world is, you know, always need more people to speak the music language for sure. Either that would get a loot pedal and become a solo bass player. <laughs> I think we'd say either that would get a loot and go back to like the 1800s. <laughs> Amazing. Cool. Thank you so much. Let's move on to our next segment. This next segment is one of my favorites. It's called That Tone You Own. So every time I have a guest on here, I ask them to bring along a tone of theirs, one that they consider to be their own. It might be their signature sound, or it might just be one that they're enjoying at the minute. Who's to say? Um, this week, uh, Matt has brought along a tone that I'm really excited to talk about, really excited to break down. So without further ado, let's uh, take a listen to that now. Okay, so first one that you heard there, you would have heard two tracks that we just put in there. The first one, 
there's so much going on in this one. Uh, this, these are the kind of tones I really enjoy when they're when they're brought along because I'm like, oh, what's doing that? What's making that? And I, you like to, it's it's an ear trainer. These types of things because sometimes you can start to try and test yourself and see if you can pick out certain things. So for that one, you know, this is obviously very synthy. Um, give us a breakdown here. I'm predicting that that is the BTB in that one. Yeah, yeah. The both both ones are BTB lovely um the yeah so that that first one the, the the synth sound that kicks in that's uh that's a sound i use quite a lot with will um he is a he's an incredible producer and a musician in his in his own right uh and he does a lot of the the bass lines in his left hand his left hand is one of my favorite bass players um it's also disgusting how good a, an actual bass player he is, and drummer, and guitarist. It makes me sick. I but... hate. <laughs> I, I, I can barely so, do one. <laughs> it's a it's a real privilege that 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 he that he has me play in his band. Um, but because because of the the synthy nature of a lot of what he does, uh, I had to create go in and create something. Um, so that was uh, that's using the 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 boss multi effects. Um, oh, nice. The G- GT6B. So yeah, it's still there. It's still like hanging around. In terms of the 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 signal chain, there's a there's a lot. There's a lot of programming that goes in there. Um, you obviously hear the Octava. Um, there's a, a sub boost in there as well. There's compression, mm. chorus, a tiny bit of drive. And the exact chain I couldn't be too specific with over the top of my head because it's something that's been developed over years and years and then gone, oh, I've now got a use for this, yeah. and then tweaked and tweaked more. Well, um, the, su- so- the sub was something I wanted to say because, my gosh, I couldn't have my speakers on too loud listening to that. I was, like, getting blown away through the wall. It's, it's so um, super subby, but still not, like... There's driven, there's octave, there's those are sub, but it's still got definition. It's not like yeah. you're losing all the notes in there. Um, so I, that's what I really enjoyed about it most. And you can kind of still hear a clean tone in there as well. I think that's coming from a bit of that compression you've got in there. Yeah, yeah, massively. The um, the the envelope filter is is kept quite wide as well, so so I can really hold off the attack mm. and just and get a much much cleaner normal octave sound but who wants that we want we want the wow <laughs> um so yeah so that that's used i think on also you'll hear the uh the kind of the um space bass as it's uh as it gets gets noted the kind of high-pitched whale um which is something that i've developed with the with the solo bass stuff um a lot there's also a couple of a couple of tracks that play with will that used to have uh, quite a high synth solo line in them yeah. um, and we actually swapped roles so he then takes over the bass part on keys um, and he will kick in key synth sub bass uh, and it breaks down into a, you know more of a drum and bass feel uh, and then I will take the lead over the top of it so it's a it's one of those moments that the guitar player will then kind of kick in more keyboardy patch sounds so yeah everyone almost trades roles within that it's a bit of a, a mind melter i bet that sounds so cool live though it's yeah it's it's a vibe it's yeah. a it's a real vibe 
I'd love to check that out. That sounds really cool. Nice. Yeah. The the whole role swapping thing, uh, you know, and with the, with the keyboards as well is where that can really work, I think. And that's awesome. And especially with that, with that six string, with that high C, you can really right. get up exactly. there as well. So it's so you perfect start, for that. You start slamming a whammy pedal up two octaves and then hit, hitting up to that high C. It's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Oh, my God. Yes, 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 yes. Oh. So you've got to send me your, your gigging schedule out of this because I, I want to see that. That'll be cool. Nice one. Oh, awesome. Well, let's uh, let's move on to that. Um, oh, sorry. Before actually, before I do that, what is that bit of music that we heard first? There is that taken from this project? No, that was that was sat down going right. Johnny wants some sounds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this is just that was just off the cuff. Like that was just last yeah. Couple of weeks. Wow, I'm impressed. I love it. Awesome. So second sound that we heard there. Uh, lovely little slap bass piece do you want to talk us uh talk us through this one again that's the btb yeah so that's that's the btb that's just all controlled straight through so that's that's the clean sound um i suppose that's kind of more of the sound that, that i'm built built myself on playing playing more locally mm. um and that's the yeah that's that's just the the clean clean sound of the bass straight in uh, I usually have the um, pickup selector pushed just a little bit more towards the bridge, um, and then I will generally boost the bass and the, the treble um, slightly, uh, kick those into active with the uh, with the mids just kept on on twelve o'clock on the bass. Yes, that was going to um, be my next question actually, because there's is a three band preamp, isn't it? Correct. It's... Yeah, yeah. It's Bartolini's three band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then have we got like series and parallel options on that bass as well? Yeah. Just... <laughs> I was picking my brain. Uh, I will. Did I? Did I? I thought I saw a switch on there somewhere. Yeah, and it's a, it's a mid 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 shape oh, cut. Oh, okay. Oh, sure. So it's a it's a mid boost cut oh, switch. Cool. Nice. Um, yeah. I remember first seeing one of those on a on an old Yamaha, and it, but it was actually called a funk switch. So, <laughs> so as, as soon as I saw it on on an Ibanez, I was like, "Oh, yes, please." Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, but that's that's just the that that's just straight in and a little little bit of flamboyance, should we say? And someone some that that that's from a track for for a project that someone asked me to. Um, to start writing some music for and they never used it so it's it's sat on my sat on my computer waiting for waiting for something else to come along waiting for johnny, waiting yeah. for johnny to listen to it in his ears uh well the joke's on them because it sounded absolutely awesome and now everybody uh, listens to this has heard it as well so you're far too bet. kind thank you um yeah but two awesome sounding tones there and very different sounding tones from uh, a very versatile sounding bass i can hear that now hmm. um Thank you so much for bringing those along, and uh, I hope that gave everybody even more of a deep dive into the way that the way that your mind thinks and and uh, uh, explores all those tones and the function that it's bringing within those bits of music. So that's really awesome. Thank you so much. Let's move on to our last segment. Bit of music here. 
Sometimes I think about not editing in the music and then just having like the, the rustling sound of clothes <laughs> and then just humming and uh, dance moves, like clapping against humming, each other. Quick burp, quick yeah. run around, yeah. <laughs> um, so this is on to the last segment now and is the big bass debate. Uh, now, normally, I must confess, normally I get one of your questions uh, to be the big base debate at the end. Just one that I think uh, will be a good topic to talk about, to finish things off with. But I thought all of your questions were rubbish this week. No, I didn't. I didn't really. There was lots of lovely questions. Uh, but this one I thought, as I mentioned before, in the particular circumstances that Matt and I are in right now, where he is passing the buck over to me uh, to uh, continue playing, holding down the low end uh, for Foo Fakers. Um, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about tribute bands because I've had a journey and I'm in a position now where I never ever saw myself in and I'd love to get your perspective on it as somebody that is much more experienced with this than me. Uh, and the, the question is simple. Are tribute bands, quote, real bands? Um, so I, I, I'll, I'll kick things off with where my head was originally or when I first started playing music because I've throughout my life always just been in originals bands uh that's I never even started playing covers really well that's a lie maybe like the odd Blink-182 cover um I think we played Teenage Dirtbag for a bit as well um but for the foundation of it has always been writing our own music even from when we were like 14 in the band that I was in um and so I've always you know and learn as well by playing originals which is a backwards way of doing it really but that's always where my passion has been and so i would always see these older guys that turn up in tribute bands and cover bands and be like i'd, I'd poo poo it I'm, I'm a bad guy i used to poo poo it and be like Pfft, these guys what are they do put can't you uh, can't write their own music Pfft, bloody hell are they you know gaining off other people's music Pfft, what kind of musicians are that couple now, <laughs> that was very young and naive, Johnny, uh, and how things started. Um, and that was before I kind of just discovered the the art of it, if you like. Um, did you ever share like a similar thing to that growing up? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I started off playing in bands, playing uh, stereophonics and feeders feeder covers and very very much of that sort of mid to late 90s ilk um and then uh, slipknot came along and changed my life so uh, yeah that, that was they a tend to do point. that they tend yeah. to do that um but for for me certainly when uh when we started going out playing in kind of pop and rock bands um at, at that time i had as little interest as, as I could with, with playing cover songs. Um, and certainly when you see a tribute act or a tribute band, um, there is a, there is a, a, a negativity that's, that's bred around it. Um, and I think that it, that continues to extend to even things like, um, function bands and church bands to, to a, to a certain point i'm gonna th i'm gonna throw it all in in the same mm. same pot um whereas actually it's it's you're still playing music you're not necessarily writing it but it's an entirely different function an entirely different role um 
So yeah, I was always interested in playing original music. I didn't want to necessarily learn too many other people's bass lines because I didn't want it to influence how I was developing, how unbelievably naive I was. Um, and then you kind of, you hit a point where you realize that your original band is not necessarily making any money and there's a band that's looking for a bass player and you look at the, the, the set list um, sometimes a little part of your soul dies but but you go and do it and you go actually this is loads of fun because everyone was up everyone was dancing everyone was singing along um, and you walk away with more than just petrol money oh my god so Hooray. That, that changes that's the other thing that comes into it is that I was very blind to the, I was like, why do people do this? Why do they sell their souls and like give it in and, and do this? I did not realize how much money was in non-originals. Um, and it was, it blew my mind at the first. Um, I actually met um, a couple of guys from um, uh, the band Mallory Knox. Um, and they, it's a band that split up before pandemic i think it was like 2019 they split up and they were doing phenomenally well um and then i, I met two of them at a festival because they we were playing an originals band and they were playing a covers set like uh, a couple of sets later and they were like we've made more money doing this than we ever did in our successful band and they were like a full-time band you know originals band um and yeah if you get up to like legacy acts and like you know you make millions and millions of selling all your records but majority it's such a hard grind that people end up you know needing to make money and want to make money playing music um and you know i never ever saw myself joining any kind of tribute band or, or covers band and then it, as i've gotten older it's become more and more appealing and, and not just because of money but just because I want to play live without any of the bullshit <laughs> sometimes that comes with like originals bands or the stress. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a different stress playing other people's songs compared to playing um, yeah, your own songs because I, I've only ever played one wedding and that was the most stressful gig of my life because it, I was out of my comfort zone and I was like, people know these bass lines. I cannot, there's no margin for error. I like to go a bit wild on stage too. I had to restrict myself because I'm there like, oh, I don't want to mess this up, you know, because people will know and it's somebody's wedding. Um, so that I found that a whole different level of stress. Uh, so I, it depends on what you want to get into really, I think. Um, how did you first get into it then? Um, into let's talk let's talk Foo Fakers. You know how did that? So, yeah, so 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 with the Foo Fakers, I've known the drummer um, Reese for years, years and years, uh, and they needed a dep um, for for a couple of shows back in two thousand and eighteen. Um, so I played a couple of dep shows with them. Thought nothing of it. They were just ones that their bass player couldn't make. Um, they then ended up going through quite a rough band breakup, just to throw it back to the uh, original question. Uh, and Maybe it um, was them that asked the question. Oh, my God, I can you imagine? That, that would be uh, enlightening. <laughs> um, but the, when, when they asked, asked me to join on, uh, on a permanent basis, I had 
Uh, I had gone through quite a lot of personal turmoil at the time. And so that was, and I'd, I'd stopped playing almost entirely and was just focusing on, on, on solo work. Uh, so that was 2019. So that was, it was kind of my route back into, in, into performing um, because I was essentially playing cover songs um, that were no, no disrespect to, to, to Nate Mendel, but the, you know, the, the baseline, the actual lines are not the, the most technically challenging. Um, the challenge for me was getting the feel and getting the tone um, as close as possible. Um, and then being able to contribute in, in other ways in terms of doing the, the additional backing vocals and, and how, how can we, we make the sound overall? How, how, can, how can the band perform? Um, rather than being, look at how flamboyant and crazy my bass lines are. Hmm. So, that, that, was, so, so that, that was the way, way in for me on, on, on that one. Um, the lead guitarist then, then left. So it was it, it went through another couple of transitions. Um, we started doing the Nirvana stuff on the side as well with that. Um, and again went through another transition into where, where it is is now. And it got, got to a point where I wanted to put my, my focus elsewhere. You would you'd already done a, a couple of depth gigs for me. So it was a case of going, why don't you ask and see if uh, if, if Johnny wants to take it on full time? Um, so that, that's been my journey with them and my, my route into them. But again, I, I never pictured myself ever being in a, in a tribute, tribute band. I've done pub cover bands and bits and pieces on, on my, my journey. Uh, and it was, it never, never seemed like something I would go into on, to, to the level that I did. Um, what an amazing learning curve and what amazing opportunities to play in front of people came from it. Um, it's, it's, an, it's an amazing experience. And again, one I would suggest to, to anybody. Uh, and actually, I'll, I'll throw a question to you because it's some, something that, that I've noticed beforehand. Um, how opposite it is to the local music scene in terms of its clickiness? Mm interesting yeah so from from a lot of festival backstage stuff i would see some of the young tribute bands coming through um i can think of two examples uh, that, I've, that i've shared stages with at rock and ribs one a uh, paramore tribute called we are not paramore and a limp biscuit tribute called stiff biscuit both of whom are amazing young tribute bands and they were friendly and they wanted to talk about gear and talk about performance and they wanted to share ideas and then it's loads of gnarly old men you know, <laughs> safe, safely guarding their stuff and, and not wanting to share anything um whereas sort of the local music scene you kind of see that competition and that is is in the younger bands and then you've got the old boys who are kind of like oh yeah come on you know, this is how i did this this is how we do this that is so interesting. I'm so glad that it was that way around that you were inferring because I was like, oh my God, you're totally right. It's something that I've seen because I I like the local music scene in, in Bridgewater where I'm from. Um, uh, just doxed myself. That's good, isn't it? Um, I think 
there is sometimes that kind of us versus them rival that's that you get in bands original bands sometimes that isn't always healthy and that's something i struggle with for a long time i think we've all done it we've all done it it's being jealous of other people's success or being like oh why have they got that oh we're you know we're just as good we're better than them you start going through this when when you want to be on the top and you want to be the best uh whereas that kind of stuff is removed from uh the the cover side or, or from the the tribute side and, and you're right everybody i've met at these festivals has been so so friendly accommodating uh and yeah just friendly wants to talk like exactly what you say wants to talk about gear wants to is excited to, to be there you know um that's probably because we're not just getting paid fuel money <laughs> um but yeah i just think there is much more of like a community thing which seems backwards you think it would be the other way around yeah yeah um and i think that it is interesting that you say there are different elements of like you've got your tribute bands who are trying to be exactly like the act you know then you've got i'd say cover bands are in a slightly different pool where um they're doing a mixture and same with function bands and then yeah. into you know church etc i think with cover and function bands saying that they're not real bands you know i think can be a bit dismissive as well just because what's to say they can't put their own swing on on a song and make it a cover that's their own or in a different way or adding in something else that like like pop songs when a band plays it live can really change that song uh but it's still a cover it's still a cover band um, and there is still business acumen that goes into all of these bands. These yeah. and skill, of course. You know, you I don't think you can go as far to say they're not real bands because they don't make up their own music. There is still a lot, a lot that that goes into all of these bands. Successful tribute bands. Every band is a business at the end of the day, um, and you've got to be committed to get to a certain level uh, and and be competent. And you are where you are for a reason of all of these things, you know. So I don't think you can be so dismissive to say nope, they're not. Um, and I've this has come from someone that has absolutely been on the side of the fence before, going like, oh, these bloody sellouts, you know, ridiculous. But nothing beats that feeling of being on on stage and people singing back to you, whether that be your own songs or playing someone else's. I had that for the first time when I played with Food Fakers and people responded and sang back and stuff. And I was like, I was expecting to get this kind of ick feeling, you know, from it. But I was nice. like, that's amazing, you know didn't bother me in the slightest and i think that really uh helped develop me and open my mind out to it as well because you know i've been closed-minded about it before um, i would agree i think ultimately the the end game for any musician is to be up on stage um, and to be performing and connecting with people in, in in that way um so in terms of the is a tribute a cover um, a function band, a real band, a hundred percent, they're up there performing music. Because um, you could you could apply the same argument to someone that's taken a sideman gig. If you're supporting a, a solo artist, um, you know, people are not you know just take um, you know Harry Styles for example. No one cares who's in his band, <laughs> apart from other musicians. Yeah. Um, but 
those guys up on stage are going to be insane level of musicianship and they're getting to tour the world playing music so yeah yeah so sure it's like saying are they not a real band then you know exactly they didn't write that exactly that was um, someone in a studio so i i would i would say that the yes uh, that any anybody who is up on stage performing music is a real musician or a real band or how, however you want to phrase it and at its core their job or being paid up there to do is to entertain a field full of people a room full of yeah. people you whether you're bring... playing a foo fighters song whether you're playing a katy perry song whether you're playing an original song it's your, your job is to connect with people your job is to convey something if your job is you know if you can get an emotion out of them or a response and they have a good good time what's to say that like that is the purpose of of a band right you know whether mm -hmm. it's uh, them having that emotional connection with hearing the original music slightly different from a film full of people just enjoying the sunshine and having a good time you know at the end of the day it's all positive things so i don't, i that's one thing as i've gotten older i've tried to do less of as well it's just to poo poo on things because i have had this opinion on it but actually not looking at the other side of it and being actually everybody on the receiving end of that is absolutely loving it so who am i to sit here and say no oh, it's not real music you know yeah uh yeah it's a it's a funny old thing and i will completely uh empathize or be on this you know listen to the people that say that will disagree with us here and be like no that's ridiculous because i've been there um, yeah and until you've played on the other side, I think you kind of get to see both worlds and understand it a bit more. But yeah. Anything else that you wanted to add about that big base debate? No, I just think that um I I can I can see why why people's opinions can can turn that way and why why there are negative connotations around it. And I would just urge people to keep an open mind and don't dismiss opportunities mm. uh, just because your ego uh, has gotten in the way. 100%. 100%. And that is what... So uh, I, the, how my involvement in this all came about is because I met um, the old singer and guitarist of, uh, the, from the Nirvana side of, of Food Fakers um, through um, just by selling him a pedal. Random, just had a pedal out for sale. They bought it off me and they went, oh, by the way, you're a bass player. I got a gig that needs filling, that we need someone to do. Can you do it? And I was just like, do you know what? Yeah, why not? And it was just from that why not, just that one random occasion uh, that if I decided to keep that pedal, <laughs> that none of this would happen. I wouldn't be talking to you now. You know, none of yeah, this would right. have happened. So right. it's crazy that you, you just can't dismiss opportunities, whatever shape or form that they are, because you never know what good's going to come from them. Um, so, yeah, just, t just take what you can and learn what you can from each of them as well. Yeah, yeah, massively. So, yeah, I think that is a lovely, lovely message to finish things on. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. I've had a fantastic time. Uh, oh, brilliant. On here. Thank um, you very much for having me. Oh, been a quite, pleasure. Quite all right, young man. Quite all right. Um, sell yourself now, um, not financially, but like, where can people find you? Uh, what are you up to next? Tell the people. 
Uh, so you can find me on Instagram. My handle is skimflower underscore music. Uh, you will get to see my giant furry face and my giant wooden base uh, a lot. Um, where can you see me? I, I have a regular weekly night in Glastonbury with Will Cartwright. Um, come on down and see that. It's in the King Arthur every Thursday night. Uh, and I think that's about it at the moment. It's relatively quiet. There are links on my Instagram page to Bandcamp and Spotify. You can find me there. Um, you can search me under Matthew White or under Skimflower. Uh, there is a new EP that came out on the 1st of September called Embrace. Five new tracks, part of the solo bass kind of project that, that's been going on. Um, and you can, you'll be able to hear a couple of those tones I owns in there. Uh, that, yeah. Hit me Beautiful. up. Lovely stuff. Yeah. And let us know in a comment down below or in a review of what you thought about this episode. Who else we should talk to on here? And yeah, any questions you have for Matt as well? Because I'll pass them on. Why not? Um, it's a bit of admin to finish on. Um, we've hit 10,000 subscribers now. That means it's time to give away a base. You should have seen if you're a subscriber. If you're not, you should definitely hit that button now. Um, you should head down uh, onto my channel and check out the giveaway playlist that's on there. I've just done a recent video showing off the, the final uh, giveaway base. So you can have a chance of winning this thing by commenting on one of those videos. Okay, there's full instructions of what you need to do within there as well. So make sure you go and check that out if you want a, a bit of a bit of the channel history and heritage moving forward. Um, but yeah, enter it. It'll be a good time. The live stream for the, announcing that winner is going to be on the 14th of september okay so that is hang on that's a week and one day from time of recording oh my gosh that's so soon yes that is right <laughs> i thought i got that is right it's exciting wow we um matt have you entered no for god's sake man he this this, <laughs> this guy needs a four string in his life i think he, he might be able to win it <laughs> all right lovely stuff thank you so much again matt absolute pleasure and to all of you at home thank you so much for listening we'll see you next time thank you Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.